Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome again. And this is podcast number 145, Time Flies. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing our wonderful producer, Teresa Ferraro, to go into the archives each week and pull out wonderful, wonderful teachings from Warren Litzman. We started a new one last week from a seminar years ago in South Africa that Warren was conducting called Renewing the Mind, and it is terrific. Let's get right into it this week. Here's part two. Here's Warren. Well, if we're going to go on with God, then we have to consider things in this sequence. Romans 5.10 is one of my favorite scriptures because it says in essence that the death of Jesus Christ saves us. That's good. But then it says that our life is Christ. Two things. Took Jesus to save us. And then Christ became our life. We died in Him, and now we live in Him. The part of us living in Christ was delivered by this one man, the Apostle Paul. He's the first man God gave the information to. And if you're going to go on with God, you've got to listen to what He says. You have to know it intently because He has the key to living in this day. He takes that same Jesus by God's authority and He says this same Jesus who walked on this earth and did all these outer things, now is the difference within you. Because it is Christ in you that's your hope of glory. Not Christ outside of you. And so this is what happened. Saved on the road to Damascus. Glorious conversion. He began preaching. First thing he found out was he wasn't appreciated in Jerusalem. So he went to other places and ministered. For three years he ministered. And one day God said, I want you to go out into the Arabian desert. That's a desolate place. When he got in this Arabian desert, he spent a period of three years. And during that three years, a marvelous thing happened. One day, God said to him, Paul, and I'm reading out of Galatians 1, he said, Paul, the time has come. Scripture says, when it pleased God. So God said, Paul, the time has come. I separate human beings from their mother's womb. And I call them by my grace to reveal my son lives in them. One little verse holds the whole power of human existence. One little verse. Look what he said. He said, every human being that's been separated from their mother's womb must have Christ in them or they're incomplete. That's why I tell you that the Christ life message has to do with who the person is. It doesn't have anything to do with religion. I'm sorry that the gospel of Jesus Christ ever got mixed up in religion and churchanity because the world doesn't know what God's doing because of it. We all put our tag on our building and wore it in our heart and the world says, well, I'm not going to be Baptist. I'm not going to be charismatic. I'm not going to be 
Methodist. And so they don't know what God says. But the facts are, God's whole plan was that every human being separated from a mother's womb would be a tool of God, would be a servant of God, would be a son of God, whatever you want to call it. Every one of them. Why? Because Ephesians 1 and 4 says we were chosen to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. And religion got that all mixed up and said, oh, the Lord must not have chosen all these that don't go to our church. They just aren't chosen. Well, that isn't what it says at all. Every mother, son, and daughter that comes out of her womb is chosen by God to be in Christ. They should know that. What does that mean? That means they're incompleted human beings. Because God's not finished with them yet. Well, we all had a fuzzy notion. We got that little cliche, God's not finished with me yet. Be patient. And we think, well, I'll quit my lying. I'll quit my cursing. I'll quit my impatience. I'll quit all these little problems I've got. You can't quit them. That's the farce that religion has presented. You can't quit anything. You wasn't fixed to quit it. That's why he planned to put Christ in you. Christ is a quitter. Christ is a doer. Christ is a liver. You can't do it. God never intended you to do it. That was religion. That's where they got us all fouled up. Religion said you could do it. You believe like we believe, you'll all be holy. You can't be holy if you don't have Christ in you. And if you have Christ in you and don't know it, it doesn't matter. Still don't work. Well, chosen out of the mother's womb. You're not finished yet. Just because you got birth, you're not finished. That's not all there is to you. There's still a work to be done with you. Brother Nicodemus found it out one night. Jesus looked him straight in the eye and said, Brother, you must be born again. God's not through. Coming out of the mother's womb, you're not what you ought to be. You've got to have another birthing, this time by the Spirit. And that's when you'll become what you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be. And the next line said, and he called me by his grace. Did God call only good people? Oh, I think God learned a big lesson from Israel. He thought, I'll call these people and give them all these blessings and all these miracles and all this godly leadership and they'll just love me and serve me, he come to find out that human beings without Christ in them were rotten. And that's about what Israel was. In fact, God ended up calling her a backslidden wife. So he learned something, or he knew something. What did he know? He knew that until we were separated from our mother's womb and we had the other birthing, there would be no way we could straighten out our lives. So our call to grace was dependent on Christ being in us. You see, I'm not so interested in what you do as who you are. For years I pushed about what you do. And boy, I found everything in the world wrong with you and your neighbor and your children and the world. And sometimes I ended up by saying, get in this altar and pray through. Other times I said, give a good offering and you'll straighten out. I had all kinds of remedies, but none of them worked. You see, 
You weren't supposed to be that. You weren't supposed to straighten yourself out. God never intended you be the Christian. Christianity is not human beings being Christians. Christianity is Christ in you. He's the Christian. Christianity is you saying, I'm a Christ, I am her. That's where they got the term, we think. I am that Christ that's in me. That's who my real life is. That's me. I'm not Jesus of Nazareth, but I'm that Christ that's in me. Here God took this little Jew, a murderer, and he revealed his son to be in him. He revealed the son to be in him. That was different. Nobody in the scriptures had that message. There wasn't anybody he could go to. He says, in fact, before he went to the wilderness to get this revelation, that he considered going to the brethren in Jerusalem. But he said none of them could help him. They didn't know. He could tell. They didn't know. Let me tell you what happened that time. I believe it was three years after his conversion that Paul received this revelation. I believe this revelation was 13 years after the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit and talked in tongues. You know what I believe? I believe they were born again that day. I think they had been saved up to then, but there was no born again experience until the Holy Spirit could deliver it. And he came on that day. In the fourth chapter of Acts, 5,000 more were saved. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 at the beautiful gate. And then 13 years went by with people getting saved, the early church going... And you know what? Not a one of them knew Christ lived in them. You'd have been with me years ago and I preached folks ought to be like the early church. I didn't know it, but they already were. <laughs> they had Christ in them and didn't know it. The reason they didn't think they were their early church was because they weren't raising the dead and casting out devils and healing the sick like it says of the early church. Those were the outer things. But these folks that were doing all these outer things didn't know Christ was in them until 13 years after the day of Pentecost. A man rose up from the desert and began preaching, folks, your salvation is Christ in you. Your real life to God is Christ in you. Christ lives in you. And when he began to say that, can you imagine what happened to those folks that had been in the way for 13 years? Built this early New Testament church and had all these outer miracles, signs, and wonders? That was pretty hard on them. No wonder they didn't like this preacher. He come along telling them something they didn't know. He come along telling them what happened to them when they got saved. He come along telling them what happened on the day of Pentecost and they couldn't take it. That's why Peter never did fully agree with Paul. James never did. They couldn't take it. They couldn't take this issue that here we've been saved and full of the Holy Ghost and had all these miracles and this man comes and tells us now that it's Christ in us doing it. Well, who else did it? fact was they didn't know Christ lived in them because God had not released the information. Well, it does a lot to our theology. If that's so, it really does a lot to our theology. We're going to have to change it. 
if God decided one day that the human being was incomplete without Christ in them, then there's got to be some radical change somewhere in human being. See, I'm not talking churchanity or religion. I'm talking to you about human beings that come out of a mother's womb. That if the same God who had something to do with that baby in the mother's womb also has something to do with that baby coming out of the mother's womb because it isn't finished. It must, it must, M-U-S-T, be born again. Or it's never complete. You want to know what's wrong with our world? It's run by incompleted people. They're not all there. <laughs> you know what's wrong with religion? The information has been withheld from the masses. The gospel that should have been preached by God's servant, by every one of God's people, has never been preached. So the world doesn't know what's wrong with it. And they can point a finger at us and say, you're no different than the rest of us. And that's true. We got Christ in us and go through the same hell everybody else in the world does. So the world said there's no difference in you. But I'm not original with that. Paul said it three times to the churches he wrote to. I see no difference in you. Why? They had ignored this Christ that was in them. We can't do that any longer. So what is a real answer? What is it we must do? Our problem's not in salvation. We've got a lot of people that sense this problem, and so they say, well, folks are not really getting saved. And so what we have now is a whole lot of categories of getting saved. I've heard them all my life. I never agreed with any of them, but I've heard them all my life. People have categories. Some say, well, you, 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 you prayed and asked the Lord to save you. Now you've got to take our catechism and we'll see if you're accepted. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a funeral. They had a nice little program for that funeral. Everything they was going to do at the funeral was written down. My funerals usually run 30 minutes because I figure they're already in heaven. And I can't do anything for them. Sometimes I can do something for the folks sitting there. I don't take a long time. That funeral took an hour and 15 minutes. I timed it. On the program, they had all the things written it's going to do. And one of them was, I think, point number six or seven was resolution. Well, I've been in a lot of funerals. I've had hundreds of them myself. And I thought, I've never seen that. What in the world is a resolution in a funeral? So I eagerly awaited, and sure enough, we came to that point, and a woman stood up, dear woman. And she had a big chart in her hand, and she read off the resolution. It was the story of this woman's life who was we were having the funeral for. And finally, she got down to the last paragraph, and it says, Hereby, this church does now recognize the good works of this woman and are ready to promote her on to the Lord. Now I knew what a resolution was. And you know, I smelled something right off then. I knew why people were so bound to the church, a church building and a preacher. A little woman said to me not long ago, she said, I can't quit my church entirely. said, I love the Christ life, but I can't quit my church entirely because who would bury me? And I never understood a thing like that because I'm available. I bury all the Christ life people that'll let me. That's right. I drop I drop a meeting or Robbie comes to the meeting and takes over my part and I'll fly to wherever one of our people is and bury them. And I'll do it to South Africa, Lord. 
I'll do it here, and if we can't find another place, well, we'll rent this room here and have a glorious funeral. I'm only 20 hours away. That's how long it took to get here yesterday. You see what's happened to us? We've gotten ourselves into a fix to where religion now is the means by which we know God. So I'm here to tell you that there's another way. What's the remedy for all this? Salvation is great. Anybody can be saved anywhere, anytime. You understand that? A boy on the battlefield with bullets whizzing all around him, bombs bursting, who's lived like the devil up to ten minutes before, can look up and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And you know what? God will save him. You know why God will save him? Not because he's a good prospect. He probably isn't. Not because he has any merit to being saved. He doesn't, but neither did any one of us. But you know why God saves him? God looks at him through the cross and says, that sacrifice is big enough. I've been with many an old codger on his deathbed. He's lied and cheated, died with a pickle liver, drank himself to death, but accepted Jesus in his final hours, and I'll see him in heaven. Why? He's not saved because we do good. We're not saved because we do good or going to do good or sorry we did bad. Repentance is never necessary to God for a sinner saved by grace. Repentance belongs to the believer. Only two times does the word attach repentance to sinners that don't know God. All the rest of the time it's to believers. Why? God doesn't accept it. You're not saved because you repented good or you confessed good. You're saved because of that fellow on the cross. You say, well, I confessed and felt a lot better. You still didn't get it used up. He didn't use that at all. When I think of all the works I did as a law preacher, thinking God was going to use this, I'm demoralized. I thought I have all that on my record. Now I don't think any of it will be there. Because I'm saved by grace. So it isn't that we're not saved. We are saved. Just by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's our trouble? How is it we can live for years and not know Christ lives in us? I tell you our trouble. It's right here. Our trouble's in our mind. Our trouble's in our thinking. As a man thinketh, so is he. Our trouble is we haven't heard right. We may have heard, but we didn't hear right. You see, I'm convinced very little of the true gospel that's preached today. I think so many bits, pieces, and parts of it preached, we don't know the difference. We just don't know the difference. I have people come to me all the time and say, well, my preacher preaches the Christ life. Well, he was talking along the other day in Ephesians chapter 1, and he talked about us being in Christ. He knew a thing about it, but the believer knew less. Not only that, we've got this powerful thing of commingling. Most of our minds, probably even sitting in this room, are not free and open to know God because we are so polluted. I'm an old psychologist, and I know about the minds of people. I know about things that trigger the mind. I've only mentioned certain key words that have triggered people's mind, and I've lost them for the whole meeting. 
See, that, that's the way the mind is. That's not you're doing something bad. It's just that uh, that happens. I can mention the woman at the well, and that'll trigger somebody, oh, I haven't paid my water bill. <laughs> and next thing you know, they got their little notebook out, and they said, well, uh, not only the water bill, but the electric bill. I owe the gas company. I got to pay my plastic card here. I've lost them. Our mind. That's our problem. You probably heard the good news. Parts of it anyhow. Even when I preached law, I preached that we were in Christ. I didn't know a thing about it. I had no concept of what God was doing. I was just throwing out the word. But the problem's in the mind. Now this is where the importance of you studying the Apostle Paul comes in. And don't think that I'm just saying that's all there is in the Scriptures, Paul, but that's my subject for this meeting. So I'm going to be leaning on him heavily. I'm going to be leaning on him so that you'll get a feeling for what it is God used him to do. If you came out of the wilderness and you had a message burning in you that you knew no other human being had ever had, that this same God had a Noah, he's a big time preacher, had an Elias, Elijah, another big preacher, had an Abraham, David, the psalmist, had all these big preachers who preached and taught glorious things, and Paul even had scrolls of their writings. That's what he told Timothy to bring to him when he was in jail one time. He knew all of these things, all these preachers. He knew the Old Testament. He was a rabbi, a lawyer, but when he came out of that wilderness, he knew one thing no other human being knew unless he told it. Now, what's he going to do with that information? How important is it? He knew that none of those scrolls he had, nothing out of the Old Testament, would tell humanity what he got in that desert. He even said in Galatians 1 that when he wanted to know Christ, he couldn't go talk to the leading preachers of the day. They didn't know it. What is he going to do? He comes out and he begins to preach it. First sermon he preaches, he has to go over the wall in a basket, get away from the Judaizers. They want to kill him because he's been killing saints there after him now. So everywhere he goes to preach, here's a man that has locked in him the greatest single bit of information human beings have ever been given by God. The one thing that completes them. The one thing that will help them to live on this earth a happy, successful life. Free of the outer. Total inner man, alive forevermore, regardless of what happens outer or in the flesh. So Paul said the outer man perish, the inner man grows day by day. He had information no other human being had ever had. So he starts delivering it. Everywhere he goes, these very religious people from the first church, Pentecostal church in Jerusalem, come after him like a bunch of spies. They spied everything he does, and everywhere he preaches, they come after him. And his brethren have to stand guard around him. He has to run out of every meeting place he has. For three years that goes on. Finally, he gets over to Jerusalem and introduces the message and they very condescendingly say, well, this is what they said. We don't really agree with it, but since you've been genuinely called by God, you go do what he told you to do. Yet he's got locked in him 
the one bit of information that's more important than anything that's ever happened on earth, aside from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're all about here. That's where we come into the picture. That's what this message is about. I'm living in a world that doesn't know that information. Doesn't know it. You know what the people who do know it had to do to get a hold of it? There was an old shoe cobbler by the name of Jacob Berman back in the 1700s that revived this message, made copious notes, couldn't write, you couldn't read his writings. They were unintelligible. Another fellow got a hold of him named William Law, and William Law wrote them down and made them legible. There are two or three books now on Jacob Burma about how God is restoring the message of Paul with Christ in us, our hope of glory. Nobody buys a book from William Law. You can't hardly find one. A man by the name of Andrew Murray got a hold of William Law's notes, and so he published one of Law's books called Holy for God. It's hard to read. It's old English. But it's powerful because some way this information had to get out. Somehow, somebody had to tell it. The great evangelists didn't know it. They had Christ in them but didn't know it. The great Bible teachers didn't know it. They, did, they didn't tell it. And so through the ages, God had to raise up one after another. Norman Grubb was a man in our generation. He studied Burma. He studied William Law. And he'd come to see Christ in us, our hope of glory. He was my teacher. I learned from him many of the things about Christ living in the human being. But it's the greatest single bit of information. And let me tell you about that, how important it is. It won't change the world. It wasn't intended to. It's not going to stamp out sin. It wasn't intended to. That's the work of the cross. What was it for then? It was for that group of people who would be birthed by God himself, who would have a special thing from God that would make them different than any other human being. That special thing from God would be God's incorruptible seed put in them, birthing another person, Jesus, in them. That's what he intended. And we don't know much about that, do we? We're not very keen on that subject. Because most people who sit and listen to me, especially the first time, say, well, my preacher said the very same thing. And I can't argue that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I say the information is unknown. Because that information, while it wouldn't change the world, the sin of the devil, would so revolutionize that person that the world, sin, and the devil, and death, wouldn't matter anymore. With Paul, they could say, it doesn't matter whether I live or die. With that information in you, you could say, to be on the earth is all right if God wants you to, but to be with God is better. It's a different way of living. It's another kind of life. Because God said the world would get worse and worse. Jesus preached that. That evil men would wax worse and worse. So in our day, what have we seen? We've seen the world grow steadily worse and worse. And we've got religionists that say, well, God, if you're going to be God, straighten out the world. He's not going to straighten it out. 
He's not going to clean it up. He's not going to get rid of sin. He's already done that. He's already done that. Somebody said, well, we're going to have to get Jesus sitting on the throne. He's already on the throne. As far as I'm concerned, everything is fixed. How are we to exist then in such an evil empire? It's simple. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. That's what he intended. He didn't intend you live forever. He didn't intend you have every one of your needs met. Everything you wanted, that is. He intended that he that lived in you would be an overcomer, that you could live in hell and still be victorious. Some of you already know about that. He's not going to clean up the world, but he gave you something that's bigger than the world. He didn't give it to the world. He gave it to you who are born again. Christ in you is your hope. Christ is not your hope. Christ is not your life. Christ in you is your hope. Christ in you is your life. That's the part that's not preached. And the difference between Christ, I answer, and Christ in us is the difference between daylight and dark. That's our message. So how is this man going to get this message out? If believers can hear it from him, that Christ in you is your hope, how will they ever believe it? How can he get the message out? Well, we're to our text now. You got your Bible open, Romans 12? <laughs> have you been studying Romans 12? If you had been reading Romans 12, you would have gotten something out of this last hour. It's simple. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, verse 1, to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here's the verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our theme for this conference is the renewing of the mind. There's no hope for you. Believer, to go on in the Lord unless you get a renewed mind. What was it that Paul discovered? He discovered that everybody could have bits, pieces, and parts of the message. Think of that ominous day when Peter and Paul had their confrontation. Is Paul going to stand there and say, Peter, your message no count, no good of the devil quit preaching circumcision. It really was. All that was true. It wasn't for him that day. The gospel had passed on to the Gentiles. They ought not to have been preaching at all about circumcision, but Peter was still preaching it. He was still preaching the old outer message. He could get up and glorify God so powerfully that people would just fall out. He could say, I was there on the day of Pentecost. That building shook, folks. You ought to have been there when that building shook. Cloven tongues of fire lit upon our head. 120 talked in tongues. 17 different languages. 3,000 were saved. I want to tell you this gospel is great. But it wasn't the truth. 
for the day. Because every one of them had Christ in them and they ignored him. The outer was good. And what's Paul going to do? Say, none of that's good. None of that's important. Dismiss it, Peter. No. Graciously, he said, Peter, if God called you to preach circumcision, you do what God told you to preach. He called me to preach uncircumcision. What does that mean? What is uncircumcision? That's anti-Peter. Very graciously, it makes a contrast between circumcision and uncircumcision. But uncircumcision is uncircumcised. If that's Peter's message, Paul says, I'm to preach the anti-message to do Peter, and he did. And so he and Peter were never big buddies. Why don't I make a point of this, and I'm so bold in some of these statements? It's because Paul discovered what had happened. God had done his part. Calvary worked. They could be saved. Mean, ungodly, wicked people could be born again. Nations could now hear the truth about God. Was Paul going to counteract that? No, that's something God was doing. That's something God did. But Paul realized that until their minds had changed to what God, God's intention was, they'd never come to full truth. So Paul never said, Peter, you're not getting people saved. He was. Paul never said, the church is not <coughs> full of people that are saved. It was. So the message God gave him was, folk, since you've been born again, saved like the Pentecostals, full of the Holy Ghost, you need to get your minds renewed. That's the message. So I don't go across the land telling people they're not saved if they don't agree with me. That's not the message. I don't go telling the church it's all out of order. That's not the message. The message is that many of them have been born again. Many of them do have Christ in them, but they don't know it. They're just like those people were the first 13 years of the early church. They don't know Christ lives in them. So Paul said, here's the answer. You need to get your mind renewed. Your problem is your mind is all taken up with things that you saw and heard and felt. Think of this now. Peter could preach to the people, I ate with Jesus, I slept with Jesus, I was there with him all the way through. Sometimes he was way behind, but he was sort of there. I knew about Jesus and all he did. And Paul could look at him and say, Peter, that same Jesus lives in me. And he doesn't come out of me like Jesus of Nazareth. He comes out of me like Paul of Tarsus. This is his life now. That's different. That's different, Peter. This is the only Jesus on this earth now, the Christ that lives in me. And the only way he operates is by me. By me. I'm a Christ imer. I'm a Christian. He comes out of me like I am. Peter got his mind renewed, probably 
the last four or five years of his life. He and Paul died in the same year, 68. And his last epistle verifies that he saw many of these things that Paul did. Never commented on the in Christ position, but he did see many of these things according to his epistle. That's the way it's going to be. The greatest men that ever served under Jesus, the Son of God on this earth, were disagreements over things. They could accept and reject. You wonder how they could do that. It was because of their minds. Wasn't they didn't love God? Wasn't they wouldn't take any new thing God did? Their trouble was in their minds. Peter would say, Paul, let's say, theoretically, Paul, I've always been a Pentecostal. I came to this great experience at Pentecost. I'm a Pentecostal. You never heard Paul say that. He couldn't say that because he wasn't at Pentecost. But he could say and said it three different times, three different ways. Christ lives in me. M-E. Me. He didn't say Christ's spirit, though that's what it was. He didn't say God gave him some figment of the imagination. He said Christ, the living Christ, lives in me. Those were his words. No adjectives. No explanatory phrases. He just outright says, the life I now live is Christ. Christ liveth in me. The renewal of the mind. That's the thing you don't want to do, is change your mind. What we all like to do with what we consider our wisdom is to build on it. Add to it. But how can you do that? How can you do that with the gospel? How can you do that with such an amazing truth as God intended that another person live in the creature? How can you commingle that with anything? How can you mix that up with something else? That's such a bona fide, glaring, unbelievable thought. And now that I see it, I can't mix it up. My mind is in the process of being renewed, and I can't mix it up anymore. I dig deep down into the processes of my mind, and I think of all the things I've thought, and all the things I've said, and all the things I've preached, and I have to stop. I have to say, that's no longer the real me. That preacher under the law is not the real me. That preacher that preached all those signs, wonders, and miracles is not the real me, and I still believe in them. But that wasn't me. The real me is this Christ. I've got to make that declaration sometime or another. I've got to have a division in my mind about that. That's why Paul said that you're either going to be conformed to the world as believers, or you're going to be renewed in your mind. That's to the point. That's the actual reality. I can't renew your mind, but I'm going to talk about it. Changing your mind is the hardest thing you'll ever do. I know that about you already. I'm not even going to try. But I'm going to lay out the truth as I see it. Because there are innumerable things your mind needs to be changed on if you're going on in God. I'll not talk about things that I got in a vision or came in a dream. I'm going to talk to you about the things in the Scriptures that's going to have to be renewed in your mind if you're going on with God. If you want to live in these dark, evil days that are ahead of us, 
then you're going to have to learn about the person who is able. So I'm going to talk to you about the change he makes when he becomes your life. It's going to hurt because he doesn't operate through a divided mind. You're going to have to make your mind up about who you are, who he is, and what you're going to do with yourself. We'll stop right here, but pick up next week where we left off. Isn't this a wonderful series, Renewing the Mind, from Warren Litzman? This was part two today. Hey, don't forget to go visit our website, if you will, Christ-Life.org. Christ-Life.org. Read all about us and read all about this in Christ living that we're all so honored and proud to be doing. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Also, we want to thank Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.